0: So just a couple of years ago, in 2017, um, the Alaskan News ran the following story. Uh, the title is, Coast Guard rescues man and dog in Gastineau Channel, which in and of itself doesn't sound that interesting, it must have been a slow news day in Alaska, until you get to the end which says, in duck taped inflatable. So. You need to Google this after this service in order to see the picture of the dude. They didn't give his name, thank goodness for that. I wouldn't want people to know I'd done this. In his white sunglasses, he is like sitting cross-legged at the front of what truly, I mean, the whole thing is gray. It looks like he has taken duct tape and just wrapped it around, I don't know, some sort of inflatable. And he's got his kayak and all, er, his paddle, all of his stuff and his dog. I mean, it's one thing to risk your own life but I mean your dog, are you kidding me, right? And what do you know, it started to take on water in these freezing Alaskan waters. Fortunately, the Coast Guard was there. They were like, hey man, get in the real boat, right? And the man and his dog were saved. There wasn't a whole lot of information. I think it was just the absurdity of the storyline and especially the absurdity of the picture that made the news. But here's the thing, dude, whoever he was, wasn't even wearing a life jacket. And if you look at the picture, I'm not really familiar with Gastineau Channel, but it is wide. So this was some confidence. This man stepped into his homemade boat with his dog and thought, yeah, this looks seaworthy. I'm going to go for a ride. Here's why I'm sharing this story. Not because there's a man on a boat on the water, even though that definitely fits in with our story, our biblical passage, but because it illustrates truly the functional definition of faith, of confidence. The man had no life vest. He brought his dog. He truly believed, had faith, had full confidence that this boat he built was going to take him to the other side. It didn't, did it? Was it because he didn't believe hard enough? Or was it because he chose to believe in absolutely the wrong thing? Right? He put his faith and his confidence in something, and and the metaphor actually is here intended, something that was not seaworthy. And it let him down. Of course it did. Because things that aren't worth our faith or our confidence always do. So, In today's scripture passage, which coincidentally is also about a boat and the potential for sinking, uh, Mark is, is pressing his readers. And so again, for those of you who might be with us for the first time or it's been a little while, we are slow walking, not running. We are slow walking through the book of Mark, paying attention to what Mark includes, what Mark doesn't include, and why in the world both Mark and God, who had, you know, who, who shepherded the, create, or the um, collection of scripture, wanted to make sure people, you and I, like you and I 2,000 years ago, knew this story. So we have to assume there's something important here. Otherwise, God and Mark wouldn't have, wouldn't have made sure we had it down. And, and here what Mark is really trying to push at is what is your faith in? Not in terms of wishful thinking, do you believe hard enough, but what do you ultimately trust? What's the thing that you think is going to get you through, and is it or is it not seaworthy? So, uh, we're at the place in Mark where um, Jesus has just finished sharing a number of parables. The past couple of weeks, we talked about seed parables. So just to remind you, the very first one was that that parable about um, the four different types of soil, right? The sower se- sows seeds on four different types of soil. And the question that Jesus is really answering for his disciples is, why doesn't everybody believe? Okay? The next parable is about um well jesus talks a little bit about parables themselves and hiding things that you don't bring in a light under a lampstand, and and jesus in the parable about a, a seed that grows on its own jesus is more or less answering the questions for them why isn't this more visible why isn't this more huge why isn't this a big deal and then in the third parable about the parable of the muster seed it's as almost as if the disciples are asking Jesus. Jesus is answering the question that they haven't articulated yet. But it's as if they're, he's answering the implicit question, is this really going to come through? So let me say these three questions again in order. Why isn't everyone responding to Jesus? If this is the kingdom of God, why isn't a bigger deal? And then finally, can we count on this to come through? Can you feel the fear in those three questions? It's one thing to look at parables in isolation. In context is when you start to realize what is churning in the disciples are questions of faith and confidence in Jesus, in their choice to follow him, And now things are about to get really real. Right? (laughs) So far, it's just been theoretical. We've been talking about stories and planting seeds and now they have to get into a boat and it's as if all of their fear, their lack of faith, their lack of confidence is actualized in real circumstances. No more theory. It's, it's where the rubber meets the road and they find themselves in a boat in the midst of a squall. Now I know you've already heard the scripture passage twice, but I, I think it personally never hurts to hear scripture multiple times. I also want to read it to you today from a different translation, the ESV, because the ESV captures the use of a word that keeps getting reused over and over in the original. We lose it in English, but they keep it in the ESV. So I'm gonna read this passage for you one more time and see if you can sort of hear, and I'll give emphasis to it to help you, this recurring word or this recurring theme. Here's how the ESV translates it. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, "'Let us go across to the other side.' And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were filled with a great calm fear, and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There is a great storm, followed by a great calm, followed by a great fear." You think Mark's up to something by using that word over and over? So let's look at this passage from those three vantage points, a great windstorm. Very practically speaking, and I have actually never been to the Holy Land, so perhaps some of you all have experienced this more than I have. I read about people, it's still, the weather phenomenon still happens today. So the Sea of Galilee, it's 690 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by hills with narrow gorged valleys that basically act as wind tunnels. So it's like Kansas, where I'm from, except for on water. The prevailing winds come from the west across the mountains. There's this tremendous downdraft. It says in a matter of five to ten minutes, you can have the most serious storm you've ever seen. Other pastors that I read who had been there said, like, they can see it now. It's terrifying to behold. And the fishermen knew this, right? They spent their lives on this sea. And yet this must have been a particular doozy, if you will because even they are freaked out, out of their minds. Maybe the reason they're freaked out is because they are fishermen. And they've seen the ships go down. They have an appreciation for how dangerous this is because they've seen it play out. But interestingly enough, when they wake Jesus, they don't ask him to fix it. They're angry because he thinks they think he doesn't care. You don't ever hear them say, Jesus, calm this storm. Instead, they say, don't you care that we are perishing or drowning? Perhaps the unspoken here, given where we've been, is that they really don't believe he can. They don't ask it because they don't think he can. This whole kingdom of God thing that Jesus keeps talking about, it looks rather measly to them. And they're not sure they can count on it. And right now they're still doing the things that he's telling them to do. They're being obedient, but so far you're getting the sense that they're sort of looking around at one another saying, Really? This is it? And so their concern is that Jesus doesn't even... Care. Well, Jesus pops up. He doesn't actually answer their question. He, he does the thing they need, right? He ignores the question and does the thing they need, which is to stop the storm. And the interesting thing is the language he uses is the same language that you would rebuke a demon or cast out a demon. He rebukes the sea as if he is almost performing an exorcism. This is important, and I'm going to explain to you why in a minute. But here are some things to know about the sea, at least in their cultural understanding. You know, we, I'm trying to think of something that's... Um, sort of comparable, but you know, we make, we make certain associations with things, right? Like walking under ladders is bad luck, or a whole bunch of black cats are bad luck. Like they're not really based in reality, they're just sort of cultural understandings we have. Do you know what the source of demonic activity in their cultural understanding is? Large bodies of water, okay? So large bodies of water represent sort of chaos, destruction. We get on the sea because we have to, because we have to fish, but it is not a healthy, holy place. This is how the Jews felt. So when Jesus calms the storm, he's doing more than calming the water. In that moment, it's like he's once again sort of claiming authority over chaos, over evil over all that is wrong, and he rebukes it and casts it out. Not what they asked for, not what they could have even imagined, but it's what they need. And then he, he says out loud the thing that has been the undercurrent for the past chapter, all these parables that he's addressing their fears, but they haven't said it out loud yet. He finally, like, he names the elephant in the room. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, it's here that I want to bracket a little bit. Because I feel like we can go in a couple of different directions. And one of the directions we could take is that if you just believe hard enough, bad things won't happen. Or if you just believe hard enough, you'll get healed. Anybody ever sort of been taught that, thought that, practiced that? And yet, that's not actually as I understand it, what Jesus is asking here. This did, after all, happen in the context of a life-threatening storm. And Jesus isn't saying, don't you have faith in the boat? Jesus isn't even saying, don't you have faith that you're not going to die? He's saying, don't you have faith in me? Do you trust that I'm the sturdy craft that's going to, and this is metaphorical, get you to the other side? This is why it's important that we know that Jesus wasn't just calming the waters, but that Jesus was trying to demonstrate that he had authority over the chaos and the wrong that was in the world. That's what Jesus is really trying to communicate. I am the Son of God. It does not mean you won't be in storms. But as it turns out, I'm with you in them. And one way or another, I will get you through. Mark's original readers, uh, and this, you know, Mark is writing for an audience that lived after Jesus. If they'd lived with Jesus, they would have known these stories. This This is a group of people who didn't know Jesus firsthand, more or less. And for those who were Christians, they became Christians, and then life got terrible. They were ostracized from their families. Lots of times they couldn't be employed because they were considered part of this other cult. Sometimes they were actually like physically persecuted and, you know, crucified or other things. They followed Jesus and then things got bad. Wait a minute, that's not how this is supposed to work, is it, is perhaps and likely what they were thinking. And Mark is trying to make the point, it ain't about the storm, of course, You're going to face a storm because that's what life is. It's who or what do you trust to get you through? In their case, will you trust the Roman empire? Will you, will you trust military might or economics or you name it? Or will you trust the one who literally is the son of God who can still the wind and the waves in this particular instant, instant, physically, but very much so spiritually, cosmically, the whole point and purpose of life. Jesus is able to do that. So do you have faith truly in him? Uh, The application for us probably isn't hard. We face a lot of stuff in life. This, for those of you who were with us a few weeks ago, you might remember that this same scripture passage was used in a funeral for one of our young people. Storms happen. People lose jobs. Marriages strain, sometimes break. People we love make terrible choices, and we watch it destroy their lives. Sometimes we make our own terrible choices and experience those choices, destroying our lives. And we might be tempted to say to Jesus, what the heck do you even care that we're drowning? And here, again, it's important. The emphasis of the funeral message is to be reminded that Jesus is actually in the boat. Of course, he cares. He's not over on the shore yelling at you, everything's going to be fine. He's with you. And he has both the power and the desire. To deliver you through some things. Even if not always from. I cannot remember where I first heard this line. That we often, someone else should get credit than me. But I can't remember who it was. That we often ask the Lord to deliver us from things. And Jesus' response is, yes, I will deliver you through. Ah, That's not exactly what I asked for, Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is with us, and he is addressing and calming the storms that we need, and we will get there one way or another, but it's going to be bumpy along the way. In some ways, I don't know that you can learn this lesson, that you can, you can have this trust in Jesus without just giving it a try. So for those of you who haven't experienced this, my encouragement to you is to find a person who has. And I will say there have been many times in my life, starting from a young child, when things weren't going well in my family, where I just really wanted God to deliver me from. He didn't, but he delivered me through and consistently, over and over, when bad things happen. Jesus, for me, has been the only raft that is seaworthy. Some of you all are nodding your heads because you've been there. For those of you who haven't experienced it, ask one of them. And in the end, the only way you'll know that it's true And now I'm really mixing metaphors, but you kind of, you got to give it a try, right? That's what the faith is. You have to put your confidence in something. Hopefully it won't be a duct tape inflatable. But you have to trust that's what faith is. Not that you faith hard enough that bad things don't happen, but that you faith in the right person or thing who, one way or another, will lead you through. And that is what Mark, that is what Jesus, that is what God is trying to communicate in this passage. There are things to be afraid of, there are storms and there's persecution, and bad things will happen. Who or what will you trust to bring you through? There is a great storm. It is followed by a great calm. And finally, the disciples have a great fear and they get to the crux of the matter, what Jesus knew they were thinking. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They still weren't sure who he was, or if they trusted him, but they were on their way, right? They were getting ready to. I also think it's worth noting that it isn't the unbelievers who struggle with faith. It's the disciples. It's the ones who have taken the risk, who have decided to perhaps leave their jobs or leave their families, at least for a period of time. They're the ones who just aren't sure that they can believe. Jesus doesn't condemn them for this. Again, remember, he. He answers it. He, he almost brings it to the forefront for them. Which makes it particularly apt, I think, maybe, for people like you and me. Uh, some of y'all are familiar with the famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, written by a gentleman named Oswald Chambers. Chambers has a quote that says, I might read it twice, it's short. It says, beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God, and professing your faith in him as the Savior of the world, while you blaspheme him by the complete evidence in your daily life that he is powerless to do anything in and through you. And in some ways, that was the place of the disciples. It it might be the place for us. We do believe, but Lord, help our unbelief. We get in the storms and we wonder if he even notices or cares. And, and Jesus is saying, look, I, I am the real deal. You will have to choose. It will move from theory to practice in an instant. And I think that's what happens when storms happen in life, right? It's all fun and good when it's just an intellectual exercise and then something bad happens and we have to evaluate. Who do we believe? It does not mean the storms will end, but who do we believe can carry us through, remember, not delivered from, but deliver through, one way or another? Jesus, again, is the one who is saying, I am the only worthy life raft. I am the Son of God. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And yes, things might get hard because that's the way it works around here, at least for now. But I will be with you and I will see you through. For those who are on the journey, for those who are on the boat with Jesus, I hope this comes as an encouragement, a friendly reminder that you have put your trust in the one who can be trusted. And so just keep on keeping on, knowing that the Lord will deliver you through. For those who aren't in the boat, all I can say is that that's what the risk of faith and the risk of trust is at some point you have to choose who or what will you believe who or what will you put your faith in and is the thing you're placing your trust in trust worthy Jesus is and so i encourage you to trust and hope and have faith and believe because jesus The Son of God is the one who can calm the storm, both outside in the world around us, but maybe most importantly, inside our hearts. All right, let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you that you have given us real faith for real life, which means that sometimes it's complicated and bumpy and messy. You have given us a faith that is big enough for that. It is not formulaic. It is not a just trust me and everything will be fine because that kind of faith wouldn't get us through. It is fine. But it's fine in bigger ways than we imagine. You redeem all things. You bring life out of death. You heal and reconcile and restore. But all of these things happen In the midst of storms so help us to exercise our confidence our faith our trust in you knowing that you are redeeming whatever situation that we are in that you are making something um, beautiful from the ashes and that we will all put our confidence in something help us to choose something that is trustworthy and true that being Jesus Christ your son and our Lord and our Savior It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.